0: Good morning, First Church. I hope everybody's doing well this morning. We're excited to be here with you guys. Um, We're going to just have a time of worship here um, for for a little while, and then after that, um, Bob is going to come and share the word with us this morning. Um, Before we get into the service, let's just go ahead and say a word of prayer. Lord, we just, uh, we love you, Lord, and we're thankful that we can meet together, Lord, um, even if we are not physically together, Lord. Um, we ask that you would just bless our time, Lord, allow us to um, have our hearts open to what it is that you want to show us today, Lord, and allow us to set this time aside, Lord, to make it about you and to just uh, uh, be able to worship you with everything that we have this morning, Lord. We love you and we thank you for everything that you've given us, Lord, and everything that you are to us. Amen. Oh just thank you for this time that we've had to worship you this morning we ask that our uh, hearts would just remain open lord to receive uh, from you this morning lord as we get into the word we love you and we just ask that you would be glorified today lord amen we're going to take a short break right now to reset the stage a little bit and uh, we'll be right back
1: Okay, I forgot to turn on my mic. Now we're good. Good to have you with us. And uh, I want to make an announcement where, as a lot of people know, um, we're entering phase one. Governor Northam has um, talked about that. And so we are planning on having services here next week, um, Sunday morning. We're going to have two services. We're going to have a nine o'clock service and a 1030 service. We're going to set it up probably starting by about tomorrow that you can sign up online. We need to know. Uh, who's coming. Uh, We need a name and a contact number. And and some of that is just to be on the safe side. If anyone in our congregation gets sick, we want to be able to contact people who sat around them and uh, be able to let them know. And so this is something that we're going to require and it's it's going to be it's not going to be like normal if I don't know when normal's going to come back but uh, we're going to require social distancing the chairs are going to be spaced apart obviously families can sit together husbands and wives and that sort of thing we're also going to require that everyone wear a mask it's uh, it's just something that we feel like is to to be as safe as possible in this situation and i know for some people they don't like wearing masks they feel uncomfortable with masks and I just, th- for this, for Sunday mornings, in the next few weeks, we're going to require a mask, and I just want you to think about it. it's not about you. This is not about you, all right? So we're going to, we're going to require that uh, when you come in, that a mask, you have a mask on. And I know it's hard to sing with a mask on, but we're going to have to do it. This is just what we're going to do. The uh, only people that won't have masks will be the singers, obviously, and when I, I'll be wearing a mask until I speak, and we won't have uh, offering an offering, a normal offering. There'll be plates in the back people can drop their offerings off at, and uh, there will be no food or coffee served, um, no children's program. We're still trying to figure out how we're going to be able to do that, and so we're going to just have a basic service right in here with uh, singing, much like today, uh, two or three people. Um, we're going to sing some together and then have a message, and then and we'll be done. And we're going to be asking you, for the sake of everyone involved, that you keep your social distance. There'll be, you know, no hugging and handshaking, and that you uh, keep your mask on uh, until, if you feel like it, until you get out of the building and out into the open air. Um, we're also going to be saying to people who are over 65, um, you really—we want you to think hard about this. That is the most vulnerable age group for this virus, and uh, we don't, don't want anyone, um, we don't want anyone to get sick. Um, and if you're obviously—I don't know if this needs to be said—if you're feeling sick, don't come. So, just to just to recap it, we're going to be social distancing. We're going to have masks. Um, there won't be any food served, and there will be no children's programs. So please take note of that. This will all be going up on our website um, tomorrow along with the sign-up. And, you know, if you're signing up for three people, you can, you're can related, you can list their names and just list your phone number. But otherwise, we, we, need, a, we need a contact number for each person who uh, is going to come. They'll be at 9, and then at 1030... And they'll be smaller because we'll be spreading the chairs out for social distancing, probably around 60 or 70 people in each service. And uh, so we're looking forward to that, excited about it, but also we want to be as safe as possible. All right, today I want to talk about something that I... um, we talked about a while back, we did a series on the book of James, but I just was thinking about this whole idea of, of going through trials. James, is, the whole book is shot with that on going through trials, and he gives some very specific advice. And this is one of my favorite passages in James, in James chapter 1, 19 to 27, because he gives very spe- specific, very practical information on dealing with trials in our lives, right? And so uh, we're going to just Kind of chop it up into, into pieces. Um, the first one I want you to see is the first things he's going to tell them in dealing with trials is receive the word. Now, that's in uh, James chapter 1, 19 through 21. So here it is. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, my brothers and my sisters. Very obvious there. My be- uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. "'Slow to anger, for the anger of man "'does not achieve the righteousness of God. "'Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness "'and receive with meekness the implanted word, "'which is able to save your soul.'" So the thought here in this is, you're going through trials. First step is, you receive the word. Now, what does he say here? He says, when he says, "'Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, "'slow to anger, for the anger of man "'does not produce the righteousness of God.'" What is he saying there? He's, saying, he's telling you, he's saying, I, I want you to be thinking about this. You listen intently, but you slow down your, your speech. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He, he understands that at times in our lives we're going to get angry. But he also wants us to understand that the anger of man, that is anger that deals with issues that, that, that aren't exactly... Uh, we would say godly or spiritual issues, anger that is just maybe sometimes me being selfish, he says that that will never achieve the righteousness of God. It's never going to bring something good when we let anger take reign in our lives. So he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the with meekness the implanted word. Uh, I love this. I, I've mentioned this back when we did James. I love this in the King James because in the King James he says, put away all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. And that just is such an, an old way of saying it because naughtiness is something we go, oh yeah, that's what little children do. But here's the interesting thing. When you look at the word, when, the, uh, when they were translating the King James, one of the things is naughtiness was actually a very powerful word because it comes from the old English word "naught," which N-A-U-G-H-T, which means nothing. And he, he's saying an overflowing of things that are nothing. And that's a, real, that's, a, that's a real indictment of our world today. We are inundated with things that ultimately mean nothing. We're inundated with ideas. We're inundated with desires. We're inundated with goods that, oh, you must have this, you must have this. And, and actually, they come to naught. They are, they are nothing. And so he says, be aware of this. He says, put these things away and with meekness receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so, what is he telling them? He's saying, I, I want you to understand something. He goes, he goes, he took the, the behavior that is a concern, people who are getting angry and it's flowing out in their lives and it's destroying relationships, and he took it straight to the heart of the problem. Because understand here, the heart of the problem is not that I've gotten angry. The heart of the problem is my submission to the word of God, my submission to the gospel. That's what the heart of the problem is. Because I can get angry and yet not sin. Paul tells us that. And so this is, this is a key thing. He says, so in meekness, in humility, receive. This is the power that saved you, and it is the power that will change you. He says, receive the word implanted. Let that word get in you. It will save you. It will change you if you yield to it. But we have to allow it to work. Receiving the word humbly means we yield to its authority even if we don't like it. We acknowledge that there's an authority that is greater than us, that stands above us. Even if we don't like it, even if we don't like what that authority is telling us, we yield to that authority because we understand it knows better. He knows, God knows better. So how do we do this? All right. So how do we, what does it look like to humbly yield to the word of God? How do we bridge that gap between what I say I believe, which is a terrible gap oftentimes, what I say I believe and what I do, there's a, there's a huge gap there sometimes in our lives. How do we bridge that gap? Especially in, especially in times of stress. Those can be the, the most difficult times. And what he's going to tell us is, he's going to say, receive the word in verses 19 through 21. And then he's going to say, live the word in verses 22 to 25. Now, right before I read that, I forgot to do this. I want to mention my coffee today. It's delicious. Jose made it for me. But also the cup today is Rockbridge, Young Life Camp in Goshen, Virginia. Uh, Young Life is a, is a ministry that we support. Uh, I support it personally, and our church supports it. And uh, it's a ministry that we highly recommend you, you uh, look into if you're interested in supporting something that is uh, actively changing the lives of teenagers all over the world. So, receive the Word, and then live the Word. And he says in verse 22, "'But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. "'Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them "'will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. "'And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, "'and beat on the house, and it did not fail, "'because it had been founded on the rock.'" All right, You understand this, this uh, I'm reading in Matthew, I'm sorry, I'm reading in, in the Sermon on the Mount here with this part. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the winds came, the floods came, the winds blew, it beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. From Matthew 7, and the reason why I put that in there is I, I was thinking about this, and I didn't mention this r- r- quickly enough. It, James is the brother of Jesus. And so when he tells us, you know, when he says to, uh, in verse 23 of our passage, for anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's remembering something he got from Jesus. He's remembering what Jesus taught, and he's kind of packaging it differently, but bringing out the same concept. He's kind of going back to Matthew chapter 7, With that story, which we talked about, not you know, haven't talked about too long ago, and now he's bringing it in from a different angle, and so he's going to say, "Be doers of the word, not hearers only, like a man who, uh, um, like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but forget." Being no hearer but forgets but a doer who acts. I didn't read that very well. Being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So when we go back to the beginning of the passage here, live the word, verse 22. Doers of the word, not hearers only. And he puts in this little warning there that I think is very interesting. He says, deceiving yourselves. And that is an interesting point. He's saying, because to me... That's an incredibly frightening point. Deceiving yourselves, that I could be deceiving myself. Now, what is this idea, this idea of deceiving? Well, it, you know, you can kind of key it off of uh, when I was a kid, I loved watching magicians and illusionists and all that, and all the stuff they did, and just how amazing some of the things they did. And even now, you know, sometimes you see some of these street magicians that do incredible things, but it's all based on one premise they need you to focus on the wrong thing. They need you to focus on the thing that's not important to whatever the trick is, whatever the illusion is. And so so sometimes what they'll do is if the important thing is going to go down here, happen down here, they'll throw their hand up. So just for a moment, your eyes go up. And then boom, that happens bef- before you can get back down and really see exactly what happened there. Why? Because they're creating an illusion, they're deceiving you. And what James is saying here, is people are deceiving themselves. They're allowing themselves to be defrauded. They don't reap the benefits of what God has for them because they're tricking them. They cheat themselves. They, In a sense, like a pickpocket, they steal from themselves. Why is this such a problem? Jeremiah tells us that our heart is deceitful. Our heart looks for the easy way out. Our heart just wants comfort, not growth. And the reason is because growth is inherently uncomfortable. You think about that. It's so true. At so many points in our lives, times where we've experienced sometimes significant growth spiritually have been in uncomfortable times, difficult times. We want comfort. We don't want difficulty. We want comfort. We want easy. But in that in that sense, then what it is is we don't want growth because. Growth is inherently uncomfortable. We want immediate gratification. Maybe sometimes we hear something. Maybe it's a sermon. Maybe it's something I listen to online. Maybe it's something I read or I, I read the Bible and it convicts me. And it tells me I need to change. And we can all do this. It tells us we need to change. And, and, then, and then our heart steps in and says, oh, come on, don't. It's not that bad. Do it. This is, oh, this is important. Do it later. Just do it later. You'll get to it. Give it a little time. Think about it. You really need to think about this before you just jump in. It sounds really difficult, and that's not the difficulty you need right now. See, our heart tells us these things because our heart gravitates towards comfort. And so it says postpone. It says wait. It says delay. It says forget about it. Don't do it. All those things when something challenges us and we're concerned about it. And our heart, not only that, it seeks towards comfort, but our heart also, we, we have this, this, um, this amazing ability, we've talked about this before, to, to remember the hurtful things way more than the nice and good things. Uh, the times where we've, we've felt pain, we remember vividly. Failures come back to us vividly. Shameful things that we've done come back to us vividly and can be intense. And, and what is this? This is our heart trying to defraud us of what is rightfully ours. So the question then is, how do I counteract my heart? What do I do in this? How do I stop the deception and live openly and honest before God? I get asked this a lot. People will say things like, Bob, I want to live for God, but I screw up so much. I leave on Sunday pumped up about my faith, and then the daily grind gets to me, and I struggle, and I'm so discouraged. Sometimes I hate myself. What's the answer here? Now, there's a lot here that you can think about, because life is always going to be a struggle for some de- to some degree. But James anticipates this question, this, this statement from people. And he immediately begins talking about listening and doing and how that works out in real life. And so he's going to give us an illustration. I love this illustration because it is so simple. Anyone can understand it. And yet, it is so brilliant. It is brilliant in its simplicity and staggering in its depth. All right? Let's look at this because he says... For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he's doing. So he gives up, he brings this example of a mirror, a very simple thing, some sort of a reflecting surface. uh, surface. And And the mirror in this story, in this illustration, is the Word of God, right? So you get out a mirror. What does a mirror do? If you pull out a mirror, you walk up to a mirror. What does a mirror do? It gives you, if it's a decent mirror, it gives you an exact reflection of you. It tells you the truth about you. This is important. Incredibly simple. It's like I'm blowing you away with the depth of this, but think about this. The mirror always tells the truth. So if I've been outside working and I come in and I'm washing my hands and I look at the mirror and in my bathroom, I go, oh, man, you had your hands in all that dirt and you wiped your forehead. There's a big smudge on your forehead. So I get a, maybe a little soap or wash and I wipe it off. Then, then what do I do? I go, oh, okay, it's done, and I walk away. No, I go back to the mirror and I go, yeah, did I get it? I look at it and I say, did I get it? So I, To make sure that I'm clean because the mirror doesn't lie. It doesn't lie to me. So I keep going back to the mirror to make sure that I know exactly what the truth is. Now, some people, I'm not gonna name anybody, I'm not going to point a finger at anybody, they have these mirrors that are like magnifying mirrors, and they have lights all around them that are intensely bright, so that you look in one of those things. There's one in my house, and you look at it one time I looked in it, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, your your skin, your face looks like the looks like the, the the surface of the moon. Because you get up close and, and but the thing is, it's still telling you the truth, because it just at a very much closer detail, it's telling you the truth so that you see. And that's why I don't like that. You see the imperfections amplified. So what what do we learn here? Okay, we learn the word of God is the mirror. This is key for us. The word of God, and I need to keep going back because why? Because I get dirty. And so I go back to the mirror. I go back to the word of God. Search my heart, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. David prayed that, because he's, he's asking for the mirror to work. And so James is telling us that the word of God functions like a mirror to the soul. And so he says, he says then, if, if, you, if you do this, the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, no here who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in what he's doing. So James is making it very clear to them. This is what you need to do. This is what's so important. This is the key in this matter. He, t- he told them first, receive the word with humility. Let the word come into your life, just like it did when you were, became, you came to know Jesus. Receive it with humility. And now he's saying to live it. But see, we, now we come to a, a key thought here that runs throughout the whole Word of God. Because with the Bible, before it tells you what to do, the Bible always tells you who you are. If you go to the Bible looking just for what do I need to do, you will fail miserably because it has tons of noble things that you need to be doing. The Bible talks about living with passion, living with integrity, living in justice, living with empathy and compassion for other people, just on and on and on. But to live these ways, to live with integrity and passion and justice and empathy, to live that way, you have to remember who you are. Because a changed lifestyle comes out of a radically new understanding of who you are, not trying harder. The Bible tells us who we are before it tells us what to do. James just briefly said, receive the word, You are a follower of God. Now receive the word implanted. That's who you are. Now here's what you do. But you have to understand who you are before you work on what you do. And so the first word here kind of clues us in to James' thinking. The word here where he says um, he looks intently at the word. I'm trying to remember where I had it. I I just lost it. The man who looks intently at the word of God. That's in verse 25. Yes, I just found it. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, that word intently is a very focused and it's a very sharp word. And James talks about this a number of times about, about a very determined point of view in in, in this book. When um, when One time I was out west in Colorado skiing, and uh, we were skiing a pretty difficult slope, and it had big moguls, and then, and then there was just rocks, you know, that and, uh, and they had a sign at the top. They said, you We're warning you that it looks great, but there's going to be some ice patches in this, on this slope that can really be difficult for you to, to, to ski over. And so when I'm skiing, <coughs> excuse me, when I'm skiing anyways on a difficult slope, I'm intently looking ahead, kind of planning my path through the bumps or whatever I'm skiing on. But now they've thrown something in the mix. They've told us there's some, uh, oftentimes on the downside of a, of, a, of a bump, which you can't see over, there, there'll be an ice patch that can throw you off terribly. So now I'm looking incredibly intently. Why? Because there's also big rocks scattered all over this slope. And I know that if I make a mistake and lose it, this could be a problem. You know, this, this could ruin my day or my week or my life right? And so I'm, now suddenly I'm skiing much more intently. I'm, I'm working my way down, and, but I'm looking as far as I can to see where are those spots. What do I do if I hit a spot? Where, where, where are my exit points? Where's a good way to, you know, to handle it if I, if I lose my balance? I'm, and I want to tell you, at that situation, I was incredibly intent because I was scared. That was part of the deal. It made me focus intently. Now here he's saying, look, this is this is what James is saying. He's saying you got to look intently into the law. You've got to focus. You've got to look at that mirror and look exactly for where the flaws are, so that you the stains are, so that you can deal with them. And so he says, look intently. How's it described? He says, look intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now this is a interesting wording because this law leads to liberty. And we don't think of it that way. Oftentimes, we think that law restricts. Law keeps us from doing what, the things we want to do. But this law, he says, leads to liberty. Now, we can think of how these restrictions, uh, ideas of how these restrictions are. I mean, one of the things I think about and one that's been famously used is this idea of fish. Fish can feel like, hey, we're restricted to the water. This really stinks. I want to get out on the dry land. But as soon as they decide to make the break for freedom and flop up on the beach, they've sealed their doom. It leads to death. So you see, there are, there are things where he says this law of liberty, what is it? The, these things bring us to life. We think they're restrictive, but actually what they're doing is they're saving us. And so he says, I want you to to understand that. When you look into the mirror and you see this law, this is the law of liberty. This is the law that brings freedom in your life. This is the law that brings victory in your life. This is not the law that restricts you. And he says, I want you to persevere in it, that steadfastness, that idea that... uh, James is, is is saying someone who sticks with it. Earlier in this chapter, he used that word "steadfast" and had this this idea of someone who stands strong with an idea towards it for the sake of others, not just for themselves. That's why here we say all the time, "It's not about you. It's not about you." Yeah, and and this is why because we want to live in a way that looks outward towards others so that we love and serve God, and then we love and serve our neighbors. So it's not about me, because if it's about me, I just want to do what I want all the time. That's, that's what happens when it becomes about me. And so he says, I want you to being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. How do I become a doer who acts? James says it's simple, persevere in the word. Keep looking into the mirror. Continually remind yourself of who you really are. That's what happens when you look into the mirror. You continually remind yourself of who you really are. Because your heart wants to forget that and your heart wants to remember shameful things and the painful things and the things that now in Christ are not true about you. And so you have to constantly remind yourself, in Christ, who am I? I go to the mirror. The mirror tells the truth. So if someone says you're worthless, someone treats you in a way that's derogatory, the word word of God reminds you that you were worth the death of his son to God. You are the apple of his eye. When someone, you know, says things that you just feel it's like it just pulls you down. The word of God comes in, the mirror comes in and says, no, 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 you're the apple of God's eye. But if someone praises you and then tells you what a great person you are and says that you're kind and thoughtful and sweet and caring and all those things, you have to remember that you're just a sinner saved by grace and that the good that comes out of your life points to him and to his glory so that it reminds you not to get a big head. The, the, the mirror tells you the truth. And that's where the blessing is. He says that's when you become. He will be blessed in his doing. You will become the recipient of divine favor. You will receive the freedom that the perfect law gives. So if I'm having difficulty in my walk with God, I need to keep looking into the mirror at all times because the mirror always tells the truth. And so as I, as I hear, I see and hear uh, what God says about me, and then I go act upon it. I take, out the, I take out the word. I take out the mirror every so often to refresh. We can never stop looking into the mirror. So you see, <clears throat> when it comes to change, willpower is not the point. Looking is the point. Looking at the mirror, looking into the word of God, and allowing it to tell me the truth not the lies that I so easily believe, not the lies that my heart can delude me into doing that. And I mean, it's, you know, we talk about ways to do that. It's simple. This is not news. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Memorize some scripture. Memorize, you know, a part of James. Memorize some scripture and then meditate on it. Think it through take the word of god okay james you say this now i'm going to be in this situation tomorrow how should i respond then if i am what god says who god says i am then how how will i how will i respond and so you meditate on it maybe it's listening to and singing godly music or reading books that that not just christian books but books that point towards truth in our lives and we keep putting christ and his words in our focus keep looking at the mirror and this is key I, I, I've said it, I can't stress it enough. If you can't be courageous, if, you, if you're struggling with being kind, if you struggle with integrity or forgiveness or forgiving other people, if you're struggling with being honest or self-control, you've forgotten who you are and you need to go back to the mirror. Because when we struggle with those things, it's because we're not living out who we are, who God says we are based on Christ. And so If we're going to truly follow God, true religion, he's going to say in just a minute, the being who I am comes before the doing that I'm supposed to do. The being comes before the doing. We look in the mirror first, then we do. This is just what we were saying. The word of God always tells us who we are before it tells us what to do. And this is happening right here. James is saying, remember who you are, remember who you are. He's going to go through this whole book reminding them who they are. But now he's going to tell them what to do. He said, receive the word, live the word. Now three examples of living the word. Three examples of living the word. And James is going to give these three examples, but ultimately they're going to be worked out in greater detail through the rest of the book. But he says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So he's going to give us three things here. I want you to see three examples. The first one is is this idea of speech where he says you don't bridle your tongue. He says it again, though. He um, He says, here it is, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, and he says if you're not bridling your tongue, what are you doing? He says you're deceiving your heart. This person's religion is worthless. Why? Because a person can say, I love Jesus all the time. But if they treat people poorly, that creates a huge question mark in their life. Do you really love Jesus? Because look how you treat people, the people that he loves, the people that he died for. And so he says, first of all, it's an area of speech. He's talked about humbly allowing the Word to work into our lives. He's talked about continually going to the Word, keeping it in our face. And now he's saying, when you do that, it will affect the way you talk. And if it doesn't affect the way you talk, there's some sort of deception going on. He's saying, look at yourself. Are you growing? If you are, you'll see it in the most basic part of your life, your speech he says, you need to bridle your tongue. It's under your control. There are times when you will realize it's best not to say anything right now. There may be times where you go, nope. If I'm going to follow Christ, I have to say something right now. He says, but bridle your tongue. That is not silence yourself. It's the idea of keeping it under control. In Ephesians 4.29, he talks about not letting any unwholesome word come out of our mouths, but words that give grace according to the need at the time. Unwholesome is this idea of totally worthless. He says this worthless speech that does no good to anyone. He says don't do that. Let your speech impact lives. All right. So the first one he says is speech. The second one is this idea of the least of these where he talks about widows and orphans in their distress. I don't believe this example is solely limited to widows and orphans. I think James is pulling the two lowest categories of society, uh, two of the the lowest categories of society in that day. These are the least of these. These are the people who are powerless. Uh, Through tragedy or through simple accident of birth, they are on the bottom rung. Now let's think about that. Because we have to think about the least of these and the people that we're supposed to be serving who through tragedy or simple accident of birth, they're at the bottom rung of our society. They have the least opportunity to flourish in our society. Now, who are those people? Now, there can be very you know different people, different people. You may think of it, but whoever you're thinking of, those are the ones we're supposed to be serving. In those days, widows they had no rights. Uh, Their children were kind of supposed to take care of them, but if the children refused, the the widow had no, their mom had no recourse in the matter, and and they could do that, just wash their hands of her, and uh, and she'd be out, right? Orphans. Orphans were, you know, through no fault of their own, they've become an orphan, and often they were then taken to slaveries or they were taken to the temples and used as sex objects. And so, and so these two people, this, these are those two classes that no accident, I mean, in, in, no in total accident or, you know, no fault of their own, they've been placed in this thing. And now maybe for some of them, there is fault of their own, but they're still the least of these. And so James is saying, if you receive the word humbly, if you submit to it and look to it for life, then you will begin to view view others differently. Your heart will begin to open to those who are denied the opportunities that you have benefited from. And this is one of the things we have to really understand. In a society where people in, we, we we, we have classes of people. We have people who, through no fault of their own, are born into situations with substandard schools. We have people who, through no fault of their own, are judged, whether it's by the color of their skin, by where they're from, by the way they talk, whatever it is, they are judged uh, by the majority of society and even sometimes uh, violence is, is involved or killing, you know, we're, we're seeing stuff like that even now with uh, going on in our culture and we have to understand, we're, we have to serve these people. We don't write them off. We have to serve them. In the name of Christ, we have to serve them. All right, so he, has, he talks about speech, he talks about the least of these, and then he talks about personal conduct. And what is that? Where he talks about keeping oneself unstained from the world. Well, how is that possible? How can I live in this world and not struggle with it? Well, the word is key that he uses, unstained. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a light-colored shirt today. If afterwards we were going to go out to eat... I would probably go home and change shirts before we went out to eat. Why? Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to get something on my shirt. I do that all the time. And what happens? You know, it's hard for me to go a whole meal without putting something on me. That's just the way it is. So if I'm eating spaghetti or we're having tacos, the the chances go up because now we're dealing with red stain. You right? And so. I do that all the time. And when I do that, my wife just kind of sighs. And she says, when we get home, we'll take the shirt off. I'll, put, I'll pre-treat it so it doesn't have a stain. And, I, and and she just kind of looks at it and looks at me. And I know inside she's thinking, Lord, why did I marry such a slob? So what happens? She treats it, you know, and she washes it. And generally the stain comes out. The stain comes out. If the stain doesn't come out of your clothes that you somebody washes for you, well, just talk to me. My wife will do your laundry. it be no problem. But here's the deal. Unstained doesn't mean you don't fall. Unstained means you treat it quickly to get rid of the stain. You see the difference there? Unstained doesn't mean I don't fall into it. Unstained doesn't mean I don't get spaghetti on me. I do. But if you treat it quickly, the stain is removed. That's what's so key here. This is what is the beauty of what James is telling. He says keep oneself unstained from the world. Doesn't mean you don't sin. He says but you don't let it linger and stain you, affect you permanently. Which rolls right into our study on First John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is the stain remover. We can go to God and immediately deal with what we've done so that there is no stain. So, In times of trials, in times when there's lots of anxiety, in times when there's lots of difficulty, whether it's financial difficulty, emotional difficulty, whether it's anxiety concerning physical health or anxiety concerning my future or any number of things, what's going to happen, all of these things, there's a lot of anxiety going on right now. He says, then this is what you do. receive, Humbly receive the word implanted which was able to save your souls, He says, and then live the word, look into the mirror. Let the mirror tell you the truth, right? And the mirror tells you who you are. God always tells us who we are before he tells us what to do. The mirror tells you who you are. It tells you exactly who you are. You study that, you look at that. This is the truth about me. Then, he says, then you live it. He gives us three examples of of living out uh, the practical examples. He says, your speech, and then he says, um, how you deal with the least of these, and then he says, personal conduct in, in your personal life. He says, all of those, and you think about that, that 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 affects the people around me, and affects me personally. All of those things are wrapped up in there. So, as we, uh, as we continue, and we look we look towards the next few weeks and the next few months. I would encourage you, be humbly going to the Word, allowing the Word to be the mirror that tells you the truth about you. Don't believe the lies. Let the Word speak and believe the truth. And then live it out on a daily basis in your speech, in, your, in, your, uh, in, in the people you meet and how, you, how you're involved in their lives, and in your personal life going quickly to God with your failures so that there is no stain that is permanent. Thanks for tuning in. Again, uh, we will be posting uh, probably by tomorrow everything involved with uh, this kind of uh, small opening that we're going to be doing next week of our services at 9 and 9.30. We encourage you to look at that and uh, sign up if you can. And we understand from many of you, you won't. You, you, you For safety's sake, you're going to stay home um we know for those with children trying to get children to keep masks on and and uh and oh, that's just incredibly difficult and so we understand in those situations uh, but but for those that are here we're going that has to be the way we're going to be just to be as safe as possible and then uh, we're going to go a few weeks we're just going to see how things go and and we'll see what happens from there thanks for tuning in god bless you